Good morning. I was kind of preparing and hashing through um, what we were going to talk about, and uh, I was reminded back of my ball playing days. Uh, we had a technique that we used for what we called pregame jitters or nerves or whatever. You'd walk out to the edge of the grass and then just all out sprint out to the fence, kind of blow some nerves off, turn around, and come back. So, if you see me sprint to the lobby at any point this morning. <laughs> Just sit tight, we'll be back in a little while. <laughs> but in, uh, in all seriousness, though, um, I was talking to a couple of peers uh, about this topic and just how to even, how to even start um, with prayer. And they were a big encouragement. The, the one um, person that I really had a great conversation with just said, sometimes you just have to jump right into it. So let's pray, and then we'll jump right into it and see what we've got this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence. We thank you that you are a God who is real. We thank you that you are a God who wants to have a relationship with us, who wants to hear what we have to say, and who desires that from us. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds as we look into this topic this morning, that you would encourage us, challenge us, and help us to grow in a deeper relationship with you this morning. I pray it all in your name. Amen. Advertising. Deborah opens this chapter talking about the art of advertising. And for many of us, turn on the TV, radio. Half of us, when we go home, you're going to see a billboard plastered across the side of the road selling you some kind of product or some kind of experience. And he quotes Forbes author Jay Chait and says that advertising presents to us a world that's not our world, but rather a collection of images and ideas created for the purpose of selling. So in a nutshell... The art of advertising is the ability to create a need or a desire that your life isn't complete or satisfied with whatever experience or product that they're selling. So how does that, how does that apply to church at all? Out of curiosity, I googled church advertising slogans and found quite a few. I was, I was rather surprised at the amount of advertising that churches do. A number of these slogans were... Um, a place where everyone joins together, the thing that brings you near to God, we pray together, this is the place where you feel God, to enlighten your souls, wakes up the Christian in you, reward yourselves with contentment and joy, united we are for the sake of God, mesmerizing your souls. So after seeing all that, how does, how does the church effectively market its ministry? And Deborah makes sure over and over throughout this chapter that the, that the focus must be the objective of the church. And the objective must be promotion or the exaltation of someone who is worthy of all that, expect, of all that exaltation. So the object of a healthy church, the object of today's topic, prayer, is a healthy exaltation or God promotion is... Um, how Dever um, defines it. Uh, we've heard over the last several weeks several markers for a healthy church, um, leadership, discipleship, discipline, and today we'll look at prayer as one of those aspects of a healthy church. I'm going to grab a couple of folks to read a few passages here before we get too far in. Um, first, first John 5.14. Somebody want to grab that, Aaron? 
First Chronicles sixteen eleven, Daniel. Jeremiah twenty nine twelve. Dave. And then one more, Ephesians 6.18. Carson? All right. Dever defines, uh, or Dever splits his chapter up into three categories. We'll look at the definition of prayer, how prayer works, and then how to pray effectively as a church body. Um, somebody throw out a definition of prayer. What does, what does prayer mean to you? What's that? Talking to God. Anything else? What is Okay. Anything else? And all of those are very true. Dever defines it simply as talking to God. Um, but what makes it so special is that the God is real. This isn't some energy force. This isn't some magical rabbit's foot that we're just appealing to to work out whatever it is that we're desiring. Um, when he mentioned, uh, Dever calls it a cosmic ATM. And when I was thinking about that, the first image that popped into my mind, uh, I'm a huge baseball fan. And in almost every single game that you'll watch, a player will step up to the plate, he'll hit a ball 400 feet out into the stands, he'll run around the bases, usually pound his chest and point up to the sky as soon as he's touching home plate. We're not appealing to some good luck charm. We're not appealing to some magical force that's just going to help us get what we want. We're talking about a very real God who listens and cares. First um, John 5.14 Okay. He hears what we have to say. First Chronicles 16:11. Okay. Jeremiah 29:12. So, through these passages, we hear God coming to us and asking wanting that relationship, desiring that relationship with us, and we have the confidence because he's real that he's going to listen and he's going to hear what we have to say. Dever, I like this quote from Dever. He says, his, God's existence doesn't depend on the arguments we may have with friends to make them believe. Everyone on the planet could stop believing in God and he would continue to exist. So God is not reliant on us proving him to be real. He's not depending on how fancy we can word something or how the best argument we can give. God is real. And God desires that relationship with us. We know in Genesis 1 that we're created in the image of God. So we have God's word, God speaking to us. So if God is speaking to us and our responsibility, our calling is to mirror him or reflect him, then that means that part of that relationship is then talking to God and developing that relationship with him. As Christians, this is the the single most, the deepest, most true, meaningful relationship that we can possibly have. This is the relationship that all of the relationships are designed to point to. God is real. He 
He hears our prayers, and he wants to talk to us. So, does prayer work? Well, if God is real and he desires to hear our prayers, then absolutely it must. Who can throw out an example of a prayer being answered, a specific prayer in the scriptures and it being answered? What was that? Hannah? Okay. That's one of the examples he uses, and I've actually come to really like that example here recently. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Okay. Any others? I'm sure if we flip through, we can find example after example. One of the first he brings up are the Israelites. Um, I don't know how many prayers he answered uh, of theirs, but look at, they were begging him for food, water, relief from whoever was invading their country at the time for the millionth time. Um, Hannah, Jonah, persecuted Christians, Moses, Gideon, the list goes on and on, of people who recognized that God was real, God heard their prayer, but that he was the only one that could actually do anything about that. Um, So, if prayer is our avenue to God, that's how we talk to God, and God hears and answers our prayer, then how long should we continue to pray for something? Deborah didn't give me that answer, so you're on your own for that one. Um, in all seriousness, though, the, the important thing to consider when it comes to praying uh, for something like that, we talked about the example of Hannah. Uh, looking through 1 Samuel, it tells us that year after year, she went with her husband up to the temple. So year after year, she was constantly talking and asking God, realizing that if she was going to have a child, he was the only one that was going to give that to her. How many years she was praying? The Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but it does tell us that year after year, she was continuing this practice of coming before God with her requests. Jonah was another one that he mentioned. Uh, Jonah was in the fish for three days, and I'm sure as soon as he hit that belly on the first day, he was probably praying, God, get me out of this thing now. But yet he sat there all day, sat there for a second day, sat there for a third day. And now compared to Hannah, he got a relatively quick answer. But still, they both had to pray. Jonah didn't know on the third day that he was going to be evicted. Um, Hannah didn't know the last time that she was praying that God was going to choose to answer a prayer that time. God delights to hear our prayers. So if God delights to hear our prayers, then we need to rest, trusting that God is sovereign and in control of our lives, and that one day we'll fully understand more of how he chose to answer and, and how he chose to direct our paths. But like we said earlier, this is, as a Christian, this is our truest and deepest relationship. So think about that from the aspect of any of your other relationships, a spouse, um, a peer, a boss, a coworker. Think of all those relationships. If, if that relationship, for example, my wife and I have been married for 10 years now. If my relationship with my wife is the same now as it was 10 years ago, that relationship is not deepening. That relationship is not healthy. It's not growing. God has designed us to grow in our relationship with him. So if that relationship is still the same, then, then it would not be a healthy relationship. That requires time. It requires patience. But it requires effort. 
This is a relationship that we must seek out. If this is the relationship by which all other relationships are to fall, then that requires us, that requires some dedication and effort on our part in order to pursue that relationship. Dever touches briefly on prayers that God does not hear, and I won't spend a ton of time on this um, as he just touches on it briefly. And um, again, goes back to the point, the objective of prayer is to glorify God. The objective of our life is to glorify Him. Um, there are three answers or types of prayer that he lists. Prayers that God hears and answers. Prayers that God hears but does not answer and prayers that he won't hear. Now, God being omniscient, he's obligated to hear all prayers and the fact that he knows what we're going to say before we even say it, but he lists these three responses. We've seen already that he hears prayer and he answers it. He hears prayers but chooses not to, and some he won't hear. And the two examples that Dever uses in for these, uh, for these points were Ezekiel 20 with the Israelite elders. The Israelite elders had come before God, or come to Ezekiel, asking him to go before God and to entreat of the Lord for them. And God had already given Ezekiel an answer, and he said, no, I'm I'm not even going to hear these people. And Ezekiel then goes on and, if I remember correctly, two or three passages after that, telling them all the things. God has come to you over and over and over, and you as Israelites chose to reject him and not hear him, and now when you want something, now you're coming and appealing, but you haven't even turned from your sin. You're still worshiping idols. You're still involved in unrepentant sin while you're coming asking me for whatever it is you want done then. The second example is Paul in the, Old, in the New Testament where Paul specifically comes to God three times for one specific request. There was something Paul was struggling with, and he came directly to God three times asking him to take it away. And God's answer to Paul was no. And all he said was, my grace is sufficient for you, and in your weakness, I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be made known through that. The difference between those two examples is that Paul recognized, even though his answer through prayer was no, that God was still going to be made known and God was still going to be glorified. And that was Paul's mission in life, was to make God known. Paul wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, look at everything that he did before he was converted. But Paul recognized that the objective was to glorify God, and that's what he chose to do, even though the answer to him was no. So, we've, we've established that God is real. We've established that he hears and listens to our prayers. So then how do we do that as a local church? How do we do that as a body? That's the target, the audience of this chapter is not so much individual prayer lives, but as a church, how to come together and pray and how to, how to have a healthy prayer life as a church body. Pray constantly. If this is the most important relationship that we could have as Christians, then it must be a priority. We see the early Christians... Um, looking to fill Judas's role um, shortly after Jesus had left the earth. They went through their proceedings to choose one of two men, but all throughout that process, they were constantly coming before God, asking him for his help, realizing that they needed him, and that he was the only one that could help them through that situation. 
So Dever, uh, we'll go through several aspects that Dever uh, has listed in his chapter here as far as what they use as, as a church, what has worked well for them. This isn't necessarily anything that's set in stone. There's no formula for how to pray and how to do it as a church. But he lists several things that work well with their church. First and foremost is that the, church, the church's corporate prayer life should stem from an individual prayer life. Pray constantly. James 5.13 says, Is anyone of you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. If this is, again, if this is the most important relationship that we could possibly have as Christians, why are we not use, utilizing it more often, more frequently? Developing that relationship. Aspects of our individual life. Praise God for his attributes. Thank him for what he has done. Salvation. Provision. Confessing our sins. We'll talk about that a little bit later in one of the other points that he has. Um, making requisitions for ourselves and others. And this helps them integrate what they're praying for in their personal lives into what they're praying for as a church body. Uh, it helps them and allows them to shape themselves around the Word of God. Point number two, your methods of prayer will change over time. Again, there's no specific formula for prayer, especially as a local body. Um, he lists several examples. Churches change. They shift, whether what day of the week works best for them. Um, as the church gets older, younger, different things had variations, different variations of prayer worked best for them. Um, he lists specifically 9-11. Um, different things will influence a church as to when we pray, but the, the key here is that your life should be characterized by a constant state of bringing all of our needs, all of our prayers, all of our requisitions before God knowing that he's the only one that can do anything about that. Use specific words uh, when it comes to leading corporate prayer. And this aspect is twofold. There is the aspect of the leader or the person praying, leading in prayer. And then there's the aspect of the congregation, the people who are being led in that prayer. As a leader, um, it's important to realize that this isn't just a time of individual devotion to get up there and pray and just pray for all your needs. This is a specific time where you have the opportunity to lead an entire body, an entire congregation into the presence of the Lord, and you are praying on their behalf. So just simple things, but it's, it's, it's thoughtful. It's that development stage of, of the relationship using words like our, we, understand that you're coming on behalf of the congregation. Then on the other side of that coin, you have the congregation, this isn't just a time to sit there and listen to somebody pray and, oh, okay, that's good. That kind of covers all my needs. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll you know, admit to that. Um, this is an opportunity where this person is going into the throne room of God on our behalf. So it is important for us to, the way Dever phrases it, is literally take his hand and own that prayer and realizing that this is an opportunity for us as a church to come together and to be unified in the fact that we are saying, yes, whoever this person is and whatever they're praying for on our behalf, we are, we are right alongside, we are pulling right along with them. This way we display and experience our unity before God by praying, by praying together in a manner in which we know we are praying together. It's a concentrated effort to make sure that we are being intentional with our words, with our thoughts, and with our actions 
especially when we're coming to God. Dever goes on to talk about different kinds of public prayer will often help us in a local church. And again, he uses two specific types of prayer. This isn't um, a blanket um, two-step process to prayer by any stretch of the imagination, but he discusses prayer as written or planned and then spontaneous prayer. And again, this is how it works best for their church. Um, They typically use the written planned prayers in more of the morning service to focus on confession of sin, the attributes of God. It's a very intentional, very planned out and thought through time. Whereas they use the spontaneous prayers as more of what they describe as a family time, which are more of your, in the church I grew up in, more of a Wednesday night prayer meeting type setting where he'll call on somebody to pray or to take notes on certain prayer requests. The family will, the body will come together, offer their prayer requests, and then this person will cover those prayer requests. Um, Point five, our prayers should specifically praise God. We see all throughout the Psalms, David constantly reflecting on God, all of his attributes, praising him for who he is. He, he's the sovereign God who controls everything that is going on in this world. We see the angels in Revelation that are standing around his throne, and this is all they're doing all day long, is constantly praising God and thanking him for who he is. He uses the believers in Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 30 as an example. In this period of time, Peter has just been arrested. Um, the Roman rulers at, the, at that time are cracking down on the Christian church. They're becoming more persecuted. It's not even safe for them to meet together. But yet they chose to meet together, and they pray, and they're asking God. They, they do bring their petition before God, but... 24 verses 24 through 38 are nothing but praise of God's attributes and who he is. So in a time, even when it's difficult and threatening for them to get together, their opening prayer, they, they chose to praise God for who he was before bringing their request to God. Dever says it this way, let's stare at God and spend so much time praying in our public services that some people grow bored talking to the God they only pretend to know. That, that ref, would reflect a very deep and meaningful relationship like we've stated before. We should pray confessing our sins. Uh, repentance and faith are ongoing parts of the Christian life, and Dever um, presents the definition of conf- the word confess in the Greek, which means to say the same thing as. And this one in particular got me thinking, uh, because we hear in First John, if we confess our sins and um, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So typically, we, when we're in confession, we come and just lay out all of our dirty laundry for the week, and that's it. Like, you've heard all our laundry, it'll change, we'll move on. But to say the same thing as, so when we come before God, especially as a body and as a group, and we're looking at, the, we're looking especially at confession of our sins, and we're staring at God, then if we're, Applying that definition to say the same thing as, that literally means that we have to step back and step onto God's side, looking at what we've done and what we've been going through and and recognizing that God, yes, we're we're agreeing with you, we're saying the same thing. That is wrong. We must repent and turn from that. He says, true joy is not the result of ignoring sin, but embracing the truth of the gospel in spite of it. That confession of sin 
shows us, one, our need for the gospel and how dependent we are on it. He points out the song, It Is Well. When you get to the end of that song, the reason that song is sung out so loudly at the end is simply because as Christians, as believers, we are recognizing God's mercy and then the burden that has been lifted from us through salvation. It's just another opportunity to remind us of God's mercy. <clears throat> Our prayers should ask God to help us and others as a church. Again, God is the sovereign ruler of the world. It's not grace Bible that he's only concerned about and can only work through. Believers in China, India, Africa, God is just as much at work in, in their lives as he is in ours. And so we should be coming to God on their behalf. 1 Timothy 2 is the chapter that he quotes, which also includes praying for authorities, praying for leaders, praying for those in a, you know, in a position above us. He says it this way, I pray for the other local churches because we're more concerned that the spiritually famished eat the true gospel than that they're fed it at our restaurant. He's, he's showing interest in the fact that he's not concerned that Grace Bible expands, that Grace Bible is flourishing, but the fact that God is being made known throughout the entire world, and again, recognizing that God is the only one that can do that for us. Prayer should be a constant, not just in our services, but in every aspect of our lives. People should be praying together. That includes life decisions. That includes elders' meetings. Um, he brings out even like financial meetings. Every step of the way, we're recognizing that God is, that we are a needy people. We need God, and we need his help, and that prayer should characterize our life as a body. As a church, have regularly scheduled prayer time and expect members to attend. He, he's very clear in this section that there is no actual biblical mandate for enforcing, if you will, people to come to prayer meeting. But this is their time to come together as what he calls a family. This is their time where discipleship happens. This is a time where individuals start sharing prayer requests and sharing their lives and opening their lives to each other, and that's when the body becomes starts to become a body and grows together. So, in conclusion, Dever quotes an Old Testament scholar, and I'll probably butcher his name here, but Alec Matier, who says, to abandon prayer is to embrace atheism. And when I first read that, I thought, that's a little harsh. But the more, the more I read it, the more it sat if, if this is our most important relationship as Christians, if we aren't gathering around God, then, then what's the purpose? If we're not recognizing our need for God, if we're not recognizing that he's the only one that can fill that, then, then what is the purpose? So, <clears throat> spending time in prayer reminds us that God is sovereignly in control. The more Christianity is attacked, the more we need to lean on God's reliability a church that's known for its prayer life is not indulging in self-promotion, but in God-promotion. Our prayer shows our dependence on God. By displaying our dependence on God, we prove that God is our hope, and we lift him up. As our prayer advertises our dependence on God and the fact that God is dependable, our prayers become praise, and such prayer will mark a healthy church. Again, we're a needy people. We need God. That is the most fundamental relationship that we have as believers. It takes time, effort, 
but that is the most important relationship that we could possibly have as believers. So I want to wrap up by giving you two tools. Um, some of this is a, is a blend, of course, because as Alan mentioned, the emphasis is more on the corporate nature of prayer. Uh, and so on a typical Sunday, we would use the first tool uh, that I want to give you, the acrostic for prayer, and include those prayers in our worship service. Um, a lot of the other prayer that takes place is in, in the smaller groups that gather, be that a women's study or a men's group or early morning study that some of you participate in, uh, the small groups that gather in homes where there is more of that intimate sharing of requests. And so as you come through the summer and we start talking, hey, we, we need to have some hosts for small groups, we, we need you to sign up to be in a small group, I want you to be thinking of the marks of a healthy church and realize, okay, that sounds like a program, being a small group, but what we're actually saying is put yourself in the position to be able to engage in relationships uh, and carry out the one another's. Uh, because there again, with small groups and a lot of other programmatic kind of church functions, I would gladly say, listen, I, I, if you don't choose to come to that, that, that's not a sin, but just make sure you're finding some way to accomplish what is being accomplished by that program, so to speak. The programs of the church are really just priming the pump. And then once we whet your appetite for that kind of fellowship or that kind of intimacy of relationship and prayer, hopefully then you'll, you'll do that as just a way of life. So be reminded even this week perhaps uh, that you can pray with uh, two helps here that I want to share. The first is that acrostic for the word pray. Uh, P stands for what? What is it? Praise. praise. Uh, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Um, start thinking of God and his grandness and just drop a few of those attributes into your mind. And it's as if you were walking up the steps and pushing through the gate and you're praising and you're going to go a little further and enter into the doors of the the throne room, and, and, and literally it's with praise that we come. Because even in the New Testament, we're told to let our requests be made known with thanksgiving. Um, thanksgiving kind of rolls out the red carpet on which we walk uh, to make these requests known. So praise, um, that, that'll, that'll be a discipline even because a lot of times we, we are crying out from the belly of the whale or something else and it's just, I need, I need, I need. And sometimes that's just the way it's going to happen. It will be so spontaneous, so weighty, so traumatic that all you can think of is help. Um, most of the time, though, we should discipline ourselves to uh, begin with praise. R. What does R stand for? What do you think? Repent. Uh, repentance, we could say confession, but P-C-A-Y doesn't really work as well, okay? Uh, 
So confession, and so in most of our services, corporately, we want to have that prayer of confession to remind ourselves we have work to do in our sanctification. It would be really good for us uh, to recognize God is still doing this work. He's expecting us to be mature and holy. Uh, So we repent. Uh, The psalmist would say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Alan touched on those prayers that God doesn't hear, Now, by that, he reminded us it's not because he can't. Of course, he hears those words. He knows what's going on. But the full weight of here is to take it to heart and and essentially do something about it. Um, God says, no, I'm not going to respond in, in all of the benefit that would belong to the one who is coming with pure hands and a clean heart. So repentance. Uh, And in that... Maybe you bow your head to pray and you can't even think of something you did wrong since you prayed last. Or, uh, this isn't some kind of introspection that cripples us. It's, it's literally just a reminder to us that, that we are flawed, that we don't, we don't come to God by right or demand or merit, uh, that we are sinful and still need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, even as we pray. And so read the end of Hebrews 4 and a few of the other chapters and be reminded that it's through this great high priest that we come boldly because we can't come in our own selves. There's no merit there. So we repent. Praise, repent, letter A, then ask. Uh, And we do ask. We let our requests be made known. We keep knocking. We keep asking. We're like that woman in Luke, one of those chapters, uh, who keeps on bringing her petition before the judge, and the judge, being unrighteous, is basically annoyed and gives in to her. But the lesson isn't we annoy God until we bother him so much that he answers our prayer. No, it's how much more will Heavenly Father, who is righteous, unlike that judge, how much more is he going to respond to a constant asking? And so we just keep on asking. And of course, that's in faith. That's, faith swallows up all this teaching on prayer. Uh, but our asking is clearly part of praying. Supplication is a New Testament word. Request is a New Testament word. Uh, ask is a New Testament word. And so in a lot of ways, God says, this is what it looks like. You're a child coming to a heavenly father. And most of your children's coming to you isn't to praise you for how good your mothering is and, you know, or telling you everything they did wrong. No, they usually are oblivious to everything you're doing and are hiding what they don't want you to see, but they're really good at asking. So we should at least understand that much from the youngest of children uh, that are going to come up to you between the service or after the service or during the service, you know, I want a mint. When is this over? Uh, They're asking. Uh, And we should, too, because God is very clear, even in teaching us to pray, that he is our heavenly father. And then why. You remember what why is? Jesus taught us to pray uh, in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. Why is for yield. We praise, we repent, we ask, and we yield. Uh, In the yielding, we're recognizing that, once again, okay, I'm praying to a sovereign Lord, a king, I'm making my request known, and I don't get to go away thinking he'd better do this for me. No, I I surrender because 
in so much of our praying, we are, we are going to lack confidence that we are praying according to his will or in his name. Um, we, we aren't going to know if the things we're asking for are really the best. You might pray at times, Lord, you know, Grandma's in the hospital, and we're praying that you would heal her and get her home, and that's completely legitimate because you don't know God's plan for the future and her health. And so in yielding, we're just, we're just reminding ourselves that even in our asking, we, we don't even want all the things that we asked for if we knew God's mind. And so we yield. We say, it's, it's not my will. This is as best I can see how to pray but Lord, your will be done. Um, and that yielding is also important uh, when we consider the second tool. And we've talked about it before, so I'm not going to spend but a, a moment on it. Um, and that tool is praying the Bible. Not just praying the prayers of the Bible, that would be good as well, uh, but actually praying out of whatever you read in the Bible. Um, this, this unites what we call these two spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible, hearing from God, and then praying and speaking to God, making our requests known. Um, it's probably, now the pray acrostic has been helpful to me, but praying the Bible in the last probably, oh, I don't know, five or ten years has been the single most important like light bulb that had gone off in my mind as a Christian. Um, to realize that I, I don't close the Bible uh, and, and complete that academic process and then move on to some kind of other discipline of, of prayer. But to realize that whatever was read in the Bible, maybe it was a verse at the top of a devotional book you read, maybe it was a paragraph you read, a couple of chapters of a Bible reading plan, whatever Bible you read can inform your praying for that day. Um, not comprehensively, because you, you still might have pressing needs, family and work, and on your way to work, you're just thinking, Lord, help me, this is going to be a mess today, and um, just kind of that continuing in prayer. But as far as an intentional request, a fresh prayer for that day, let it come out of whatever you read in the Bible. Uh, so that text that you read, you're trying to ask questions, you're trying to understand it, um, but we're even working with this in the next couple of uh, weeks, the summer weeks with the teens, um, the Swedish method of Bible study, asking a couple of questions, but we added a question, how, how do you pray this text? If, if you were handed that verse or that paragraph and then you were asked, here, pray from this passage for us today, you know, we should get better at being able to do that. Uh, so just let's just do one quick little rehearsal so that even this week, whether you hear a message on the radio, see it in your devotional, a couple of verses, Bible reading, you're thinking, wait a minute, before I just start praying for stuff that I need, let me pray based on this verse for those people that need prayer. Because you might pray for your kids or grandkids every day, but it'll get very old if you pray the same thing for them every day. But if you let the Bible inform what you should pray for them every day, it becomes fresh and new. Uh, jump into Psalm 1. And we're only going to look at the first two verses, and then I want you to be thinking how to pray uh, from these verses. Um, you know, we kind of do this at the end of a sermon. It's kind of the prayer of yielding. 
but it's generally a prayer focused on whatever we studied. You know, today we're going to study humility, so it would be perfectly normal to say, you know, Lord, show us more of yourself and humble us. Um, it might seem odd. I think it would to you if on a passage from 1 Peter we study humility and then at the end we pray, Lord, and now we just pray that you would help us to be faithful givers, to use our money more wisely, to be good stewards of it. And you'd be thinking, did I miss a point in the sermon? Like that wasn't what we prayed about or studied about. So be mindful of this tool of praying the Bible, uh, letting the Bible so influence our minds that we can even pray for that very thing on that day. So perhaps you open your, I don't know, morning and evening from Spurgeon or any other devotional and you read these verses at the top. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You know there's more to the psalm, but that's what was there on your thing. You read the rest of the devotional, perhaps. You close the book, you close the Bible, uh, and you know you should pray. Well, what could you pray from Psalm 1, just verses 1 and 2? And, and maybe you're thinking, you know, of your wife or your husband. You're thinking of your kids. You're thinking of... Work, you're thinking of your country, you're thinking of world affairs, you're thinking of a mass shooting, whatever's going on. Well, you could pray for any of those things, but how would these verses affect your praying today? What are some examples of prayers? And, and I'm not looking for the right answer here. This is, this is pretty open-ended. Um, so what would you pray? Yeah, it becomes pretty standard to maybe, because of the length of the project or whatever, the hassles of it, just build a couple extra hours into the, you know, and get your money's worth there. Well, maybe that is the norm in places, but you're saying, you know, Lord, help me to do what's right in the workplace, to, to apply ethics based on your character. Uh, what else? So if day and night you're to meditate on what God has said, then we can't let the media shape what the meditation is. Uh, that has to be funneled through our meditation of what God says. What else? So Lord, help me to discern when counsel doesn't measure up with your word. Do you think every Christian friend you have gives wise counsel? Do you think every Facebook, you know, answer or, you know, reply or whatever happens on there is, is wise and should be heard? Maybe not. Um, you know, you hear stories of, you know, counsel that is just not helpful. It, it, and so 
you could read this and say, Lord, help me to be able to recognize counsel that is wise and counsel that is not. Make me a discerning Christian. Uh, we need that kind of discernment. Uh, what else? Not just hearing it, but treasuring it. You know, you might read these verses, and then you hit that word delight, and you're like, you know, Lord, I don't even remember the first verse, and it was only about 30 seconds ago. Um, clearly, there isn't a delight when I, I can't even remember what I read 30 minutes ago. Um, so give me a delight. And there are times in the Christian life where you don't feel like delight is the natural response. Like, what do you do? Well, you, you lay that out there and say, Lord, I'm supposed to delight in your law and meditate on it day and night, and I, and I feel like my mind is spent everywhere else but there. So I need help. Um, but that's, that's praying. That, that's real-life praying. That isn't just some words that typically you hear someone pray because you're like, ooh, that sounds kind of ugly. Um, but what do you do when you don't delight? We come to God and tell him that. Ask for his help. What else? So what if our counsel hasn't been wise? What if we're the sinner that people should not be sitting with? What if in our doubt and unbelief, we could be called a scoffer? Um, we're saying, Lord, why did, you, why did you let this happen? Well, who are you to, to say that? Like that? What if you're the bad influence? Well, now we're coming back to that repentance, that confession. Lord, if I'm wicked, if I'm the sinner, if I'm ever scoffing in my heart, even if I would never say it in front of the people that I'm trying to impress, then forgive me and, and get me back to the place of delight. What else? The key word I want us to hit. Blessed. Lord, I, I'm just not happy. Like, would you make me happy? Would you give me joy? I'm just dry and barren, and yet you're starting out this psalm saying, wait a minute, the Christian life is supposed to be this life of refreshing, you know, saturation in, in God and in his law. So, Lord, I'm not happy. Like, I'm letting life drain the joy right out of me. So I want to get to the request because I want to lay out all this stuff that doesn't make me happy. And that ultimately might be my argument of why you're not good. But Lord, I want to be happy. So whatever it takes, bring me back to that. So a simple verse, like while this isn't necessarily saying like, oh, pray for happiness, by the fact that it starts out as there are those who are blessed. They are happy. How is that? It's because they're going God's way. They're avoiding all this muck of the world. And they're recognizing that if I keep my mind saturated in God's word, I, I can be happy. doesn't mean life will be easy, any easier than it is right now. But my in, inner man can be renewed day by day at this refreshing water. Uh, and I can press on, even though everything around me is chaos, brokenness, mess, tedium, routine, whatever it is that makes up our daily lives. Uh, the inner man can be renewed. And so blessed and delight are key words there. And so this week, uh, 
whatever you might read, whatever you might hear of God's word, be thinking, how, how could I pray that? Uh, now, granted, there, you'll come across psalms and verses that you're just like, I, I don't know how to turn that into a prayer. Uh, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, or this king defeated this king. And, well, but I think you'd be surprised if you really made it the exercise that I, we can pray the scriptures. There's something there that God has revealed that's supposed to help me grow to understand him better. And if that's the case, then I should be able to pray something from that. Um, this will help us uh, in our personal prayer. Um, and obviously, as I said, it, it does happen in our corporate praying as well. Uh, because if you're asked to pray in, in your small group or you know, in, in a Bible study, uh, you don't have to make up new stuff. Uh, you probably just had 45 minutes or an hour of content that you were discussing, and now it's maybe just that asking and yielding to that content, to that truth, and asking God to, to make it effective in our lives. Um, and we'll keep practicing our corporate prayer as well. Don't let it be a routine to you, but remember, th this is how we're told to pray. Uh, so when we pray a prayer of praise, you, your heart might be kind of swelling with all the things that God did for you that week and your family. And uh, when we come to a prayer of confession, you might be thinking, yeah, I, they didn't mention my struggle, but Lord, here I come again. Uh, wow, how, how sufficient is Christ? If every week we can keep rehearsing our failures but with the assurance of God's pardon because Christ is so sufficient. Uh, this, is, this is what we need, and this is why we do it week after week. And so, Lord, continue to teach us on this matter of prayer. Humble us as we study this morning so that we will be praying people. Uh, by your Spirit, continue to lead us along our pilgrim journey, uh, learning more and more what it is to commune and communicate with you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. On this Father's Day, we're grateful uh, that whatever our experience has been of fathers in this temporal world of human relationships, uh, you have set the standard for us in your holiness and in your perfect love uh, for what it means to be a father. And so as your children, we come to you in faith. Uh, we're trusting you. Uh, we leave our requests with you. Uh, help us to love you more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.